Are you seeking a better way to accelerate your sales, to scale your business, to live a life with no limits? Accelerate Sales Podcast features global experts who have cracked the code to recurring revenues with proven sales systems and get you on the fast track to scaling. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. So in today's episode, you're going to learn three key things. One is what is the difference between a patent, a trademark, and a copyright? And most importantly, some practical examples. The second thing is a really cool way of getting some leads. And the third thing is some great ways of getting your potential clients into calls. And there's some excellent examples there. So uh, welcome if you're a first-time listener and you love what you hear, please subscribe. And if you're a regular, always welcome those iTunes reviews. And I really appreciate the people that are doing it. It means the world to me. Uh, always take notes. It's completely up to you. There is an excellent summary that we do, and that's why I look down a lot of these interviews to get those summary notes right for you. There'll be all the links, et cetera, in there, and you can get a full transcription of paulhigginsmentoring.com. So today's guest has started several seven and eight startups and has been very successful in their own right, but they also love helping people to protect their intellectual property to save you both time and money. And it's just a fantastic interview and I know you're going to love this one. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Devin Miller from Miller IP Law. Great to have you here, Devin. Well, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm the same. And uh, as we said in the pre, I'm very, very envious of your fantastic uh, branding. So, um, you know, I've got to lift my game, but uh, well done for you. And uh, I know that I said in the intro, your company, but uh, I'm glad that other people during this podcast, if you're watching it on video, you'll uh, certainly get to see it. So uh, why don't we kick off with, you know, who are your perfect clients? Who do you love to work with? Yeah, so it's probably, I guess, you know, it's kind of ironic, or maybe not ironic, that I'm, I am my perfect client in the sense that I love startups and small businesses, and that's the clients I love to work with. So, you know, my ideal client is going to be anything from a solo inventor, garage inventor, just getting up and going to a startup that's fun, you know, either pre pre-seed round or pre-funding or funding to a small business. Now, not to say I don't work with medium or larger size businesses, but if I were to say, hey, this is my ideal client, it's one that is a startup or the small business. And the main reason being is that I just, you know, that's the place where once you get too, if you're too small, you're not, you don't, you're, you're typically not far enough along that we can help you. If you're too big, then we are a much smaller cog in a big wheel. We don't really have impact. We don't really have guidance and it's just not as fun. But if you get kind of that sweet spot, then we get to see all the cool stuff that the people are coming up with. The, you know, this is their one shot and this is what they're looking to build and what they're going to, and we can actually have a, an impact on their business to help them. Yeah, look, and, you know, I'm very similar. I, I love working with the actual founders, the owners. You know, they've yeah. got all the upside if they get it right. And, you know, that passion, they really care about their clients. So, you know, very similar. And, you know, for you, certainly around some of those smaller businesses, you know, what are some of the the key problems that you help them solve? Yeah, so we... But Miller IP law is an intellectual property law firm. So um, intellectual property generally includes patents, trademarks, copyrights. And then we also do a a few business related things. So in the U.S., LLCs are business formations. We'll do like an NDA, non-disclosure agreement or a uh, employee employee, 
employee IP agreement, those type of things. So it's usually uh, pretty well patents, trademarks, copyrights, and then some business related things um, that support that. And that's really just the services we love to offer because I really look at our focus is helping startups and small businesses protect and grow their business. So usually if it's kind of anything within there, that's what we focus on. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And, um, you know, I suppose the most obvious thing, because, you know, a lot of people hear the words patents, copyright, et cetera, but they don't always know what the differences are. So just give us a quick, you know, elevator pitch of uh, what the differences are between each of those. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's an easy question. I mean, I'll have clients that come in and say, oh, I got this great invention. I need to go trademark. And I say, well, that's great. You have a good invention. You're actually going to want a patent or vice versa. So is a really quick level set. Um, in, or starting with what is intellectual property. So intellectual property is an, an umbrella term, so it kind of incorporates multiple different things underneath that, which include patents, trademarks, copyright. So patents are going towards inventions. If you create something that does something, it has a functionality that falls under patents. So it can be software, it can be hardware, it can be electro, electronic, but anything that kind of does something, an invention. Trademarks are going to go for branding. So if you were to think of you know anything that's really associated with branding, a name of a company, a name of a product, a logo, a catchphrase, kind of anything that incorporates with your brand really fall under trademarks. And then copyrights are going to be for creative. So it's something that kind of has that creative nature to it. So a painting, a photo, a book, a movie, you know, anything that's going to be kind of on that creative nature falls under copyright. So if you think this is a quick summary, pens are for inventions, trademarks are for brands, copyrights are for creatives. Yeah, great. And, and how's crypto... Um, I'll use crypto as a broad term, but I think it's NFTs, et cetera. How's that sort of working with, uh, you know, books? You know, they, they, I'm, I've heard even now that even memberships, they might you might be able to, you know, buy into a membership as an example. Uh, so not just be a member, but also have a part of the, the business. You know, are you doing much work or see much change in that space? Um, it depends on how, so NFT, I guess it, it seems it's a fair, a fairly broad term. It could mean different things. Yeah. We have done yeah. stuff more on like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as an example, more so on the technology side. So not as much on the copyright side, but more for how do you, as an example, you interact with a bank and make cryptocurrency work with a bank because they were starting to get into it or how do you account for it? How do you apply it? And, and some of that kind of behind the scenes stuff that you see with crypto on the patent side, we've uh, we have clients that do that and we've and then we've got into that. On the copyright side, now when you get into NFTs, um, you know, that seem, it still feels like it's kind of the wild west in the sense that people really don't know. People don't know what they are, let alone, you know, what to do with them type of a thing. And they're like, well, you, you know, give me an example. I think it was the, one of the more recent ones was there's a, a video that came out several years ago. It was Charlie bit me. And it was one of the big ones that was on the internet. It was on YouTube for a while. And I'm sure if you went and searched it, unless they've taken it down. The reason I was going to say it used to be up there for a while. And they actually talked about pulling that down and having the original is an NFT. In other words, they're saying you can be the only one that owns it. You can decide what to do with it. And so it's shifting now. Can you do that? Yeah, you can own a copyright. You can decide what you want to do with it, but how that works legally and what kind of agreements and what the usage is and can people split it or is it just one owner and how do you do it if people split it and how do you derive income? It just gets much more complicated and it also gets to an area that to where there really isn't well-defined rules yet. And it's kind of one of those that the legal system generally lags behind. Usually it'll have the business, technology, the marketplace is ahead. And then as new things come out, then the legal system is kind of figuring out, okay, now what do we do with that? So we kind of have the 
business and you know everything out in front and legal is just starting to figure it out yeah okay okay all right great well if we go into i suppose out of the three i think you know trademarks and copyright are probably the two that you know my audience are more interested in and just from a um a trademark perspective let's say you've got your trademark like for me you know mm-hmm. um paul higgins mentoring.com is is my you know key url domain name that's what everything's under but let's say like i've got a membership called the sales machine which you know really helps people get leads particularly through linkedin now with something like the sales machine that's quite a generic word obviously or two generic words you know um if i set up a you know a separate website etc using sales machine you know how you know if I came to you and asked for advice, whether I should or shouldn't trademark mm-hmm. that, what would, you know, I know I'm asking you on the spot and it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, different scenarios, but is a top line, what would you say with a scenario like that, which I commonly see amongst my clients? No, I'd say all like alternatives. If you pay me enough, I'll do whatever you want. No, no, I wouldn't really say that. That's a horrible <laughs> answer. So don't take that as your takeaway. But there are attorneys that would say, sure, if you want to trademark it, we'll do whatever you want. But no, the, the real answer yep. is if I were to start out and say, you know, should I trademark this or could I trademark it? What I would probably do is if you were to come in and kind of treat this as that scenario, I would say, well, first of all, let's take a step back and talk about before should you or could you, or I guess should you is could you. In other words, what are the standards for trademarkability? So there are really a a couple of primary standards. There's a few other ones, but two two that kind of come up. And one is whether or not you're confusingly similar with another trademark that's already out there. So what does that mean? That means if there was already a sales, let's say you wanted to do sales machines with an S and there's already a sales machine without an S. Well, if customers were to see both of those side by side, they probably think you guys are the same company or at least you're associated with each other because it's very similar. Or another example, let's say you wanted to start a athletic wear, sports gear, apparel and shoes company, and you wanted to do it with the the company that was named N-I-K-E-E. Well, they're probably going to think you're something to do with Nike with one E. And so they're going to say those are confusingly similar. So yes. If there is already somebody out there before you register your trademark that has something that's either the same or very similar, then you're going to have kind of one strike against whether or not you can get a trademark. Now, I'll give one caveat to that, which is trademarks work that if you are or they work with you have to indicate the categories or the classes of goods and services you're going to use them for. So gave the example of Nike, athletic wear, sports gear and apparel. And so theoretically, you could go st- or trademark Nike Automotive because they don't do anything with automobiles. Now, Nike is very famous, may not work out, but that kind of an idea of if, you know, you have to say, I can't just get this word and use it for every possible thing, every use in the world and every possible avenue. You have to say, here's how I'm going to use it. And if somebody's doing something completely unrelated to you and wants to use the same word, this trademark system is set up to allow for that. So that's kind of the one thing, confusingly similar whether or not somebody else is out there that's going to be similar to yours, both in the word and as well in the um, in what they're doing. Second standard, then I'll take a break, is the what's called merely descriptive. And so the other thing that is with trademarks you have to look out for is what with merely descriptive is you can't trademark something to where people are just thinking that you're describing using a well-known term or a well-known phrase 
for your product that isn't really identifying with your with that your actual brand. It's just kind of how everybody describes it. So give you an example. Let's say you wanted to go and start the world's best fruit stand and you're going to get them, sell the world's best fruit. And so you're going to sell apples and you've loved, you know, you got the world's best apples. And so you opened your fruit stand and you wanted to name your fruit stand apple. Well, people probably are going to think your fruit stand is just describing the fruit apple and you're just selling apples and the name of your business really is not apple. And they're going to think, well, that's just a word that everybody uses when they're selling apples. So you can't do that. Now, if you want to go start a smartphone and consumer consumer electronics named apple and it has nothing to do with what you're selling, perfectly fine. So you just got to watch out for if you are merely descriptive. In other words, are you just describing what what the product or the service you're actually offering is? So now with that, all is a long backdrop. You ask, could I get a you know, sales machine? Well, one is, is are you confusingly similar? I don't know. We could go out. We could search. We could see what else is out there. Let's say, let's assume anybody, nobody else is out there. You're the first one to come up with it. Nobody's trademarked it. So you're clear on that front. Then the second one is going to be, are, is it merely descriptive? And that's the one that I would say it's, it's getting at least close. Is it exactly what you're doing? Well, you're not selling an actual machine, yes. but machines are typically a device to do something. And you're saying, you know, machine in a broad level is your machine that is helping to generate sales or generate leads. And so it, I would say, you know, it's not spot on. You might be able to get a trademark on it but you are certainly running into that possibility of it being merely descriptive. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. And, and about, so I suppose the flip side is what is the risk, you know, if someone, you know, I build up this membership, you know, it may be earning me millions of dollars a year and someone comes along and says, actually, you know what, I've I'd already traded, I got a trademark called sales machine. So you've got to shut down overnight or, or what have you like, how, how do you, I know it's a bit of a piece of string again, but, you know, how do you um, prepare yourself for a risk like that other than trademarking it yourself? Yeah. So I would give a couple of different scenarios. One is, let's say you go and you say, okay, I love the words, you know, let's say something was a bit more unique. We're going to call it sales ABC, just so that that way it's not quite as merely descriptive. So we do sales ABC and you say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start using it. And you put in a whole bunch of time, money, and effort and you start marketing it. And then one of two scenarios happens. Either you find out, hey, I was unaware, but before I started using it, someone else was already using it and already trademarked. That's one scenario. The other scenario is you go out and use it. You never trademark it yourself. Somebody else, either because they think you have a great brand or just they thought of it separately to, you know, they knew and it wasn't anything nefarious, went out and trademarked it first. So they came along after you, but they trademarked it first. So those are two different scenarios that are typically come up. So I'll go through kind of both of those. So the first one, let's say that somebody else was using it before you. Then technically you're infringing their trademark. They can come, they can shut you down. They can say, pay us a whole bunch of money. They can say, we're going to sue you, see you in court, and you're probably going to lose because you're use, you are infringing their trademark. And all of those are really bad scenarios. Usually what happens if they are reasonable, they'll send you a cease and desist letter. You'll go to an attorney and say, so how bad is this? And the attorney will look at it. And if it is bad, they'll say, well, what you're probably going to have to do is you're going to get a rebrand your whole company and start over on the branding, which is never a good scenario because Let's say you built up a whole bunch of SEO. You have a website. You have all your marketing material. You have everything that's out there. You have your hat. You have your signs in the background. And now you get to change all of that. And it's an expensive endeavor and it's going to harm your business. So that's one of the drawbacks of just simply doing a or not worrying about trademarks. And we'll just go start using it and we'll worry about that later on. 
it can be pretty detrimental, especially if you put in a lot of time, money, and effort. So that's kind of scenario one. If if you go out and you infringe someone's trademark because you didn't know or you didn't do any due diligence or you didn't trademark yourself, not a good thing. Usually get a rebrand. Worst case scenario is you get to pay them a whole bunch of money and then you get a rebrand. Yeah, right. Now, the, the second one is, okay, let's say you were the first. So you came up with sales ABC and nobody else had used it but you never got around a trademark, which is a common scenario for a startup or small business. You're saying, Hey, we've only got a few, you know, a small budget and we've got to do, we can either do sales, we can do marketing, we can do HR and hiring our new people. We can do inventory or we can do legal. Guess which one? A lot of times you get pushed to the back legal because you'll say, well, we'll worry about that down the road when we're making some money. And then you just keep making, you keep growing, but you never really worry about it down the road. And then you come along and you find out, that after you, you know, usually it's like, okay, I've been going in business for three, two or three years. And I'm like, well, I should probably do something now. And so you go and you look to see, okay, can we secure the trademark? And we come to find out about a year ago, somebody else trademarked it first. Well, the, at least in the U.S., and it's similar throughout most of the world, but I'll get based on U.S. law. What then happens is that because you were using it first, you have some inherent rights. So you can continue to use it because you were the first user. But what it does is it severely limits your rights to be able to grow. So let's say as an example, you are in Chicago in the, in the US. And so you're in, in Chicago and you created the world's best pizza joint. Awesome pizza, deep dish pizza, and everybody loved it. So you started you know, your, your pizza joint and you were going along and you built a really great brand and you never trademarked it. And then a couple, two or three years down the road, say, okay, we've got a great brand. Now we want a franchise. We're going to go and just blow this up and make it worldwide. And so you come along and you, and you find out that you were the first one to use it. But in that era, about a year ago, somebody else filed the trademark for it. Now you've got a scenario where you can keep using it in Chicago because you're the first one to use it in Chicago. You can keep using it, but you can't expand out of Chicago. Meaning now that person that came and registered the trademark owns it for every everywhere outside of Chicago within the U.S. and you only own it in Chicago. So they can't do it in Chicago. You can't do it anywhere else. So you have some limited rights. But now you're stuck. You can't grow. You can't expand. You can't do anything else. You can't franchise. And so, again, not a good scenario. It's better because you can at least keep doing what you're doing, but it limits your business. So those are usually the biggest drawbacks and kind of the scenarios that a lot of times you head into. Yeah, look, that's great. And look, I could ask you a million questions, but I know that, you know, you've got a free consult. So if people got a specific scenario, because it's always better to talk specifics, you can, you know, reach out to Devin and he's kind of going to give his time to to help work through those. Um, just the other quick one is, you know, ideal and, you know, help a lot of cloud partners or tech resellers, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, they might be reselling Salesforce, Google, Microsoft, Monday, Asana, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I know when we were, we were a copper partner and, you know, sometimes it was like, you know, how, how much do I use their brand to attract clients versus my brand? And it got a bit murky. I, I just wonder if you have any advice for people listening or watching right now around how much, you know, where's the, where's the dotted line drawn not a solid on most of these things but a dollar line drawn on how much you can actually really leverage um your vendor partner's brand yeah and circling back really quick you mentioned that we do a free consult if you if anybody has any questions along the way then go to strategymeeting.com then grab some time with me to chat right there links to my calendar now there's my self or selfless promotion or plug but now i'll go to answer your question which is you know 
there's usually the best way to start is if you're entering into a wholesale agreement or some some partnering agreement where you're going to be selling a product for someone else or you're going to be co-developing it or co-branding it any of those kind of all those scenarios including wholesale yes. best time to figure all that out is when you're signing the agreement because that is the point where you can you can usually define that pretty well in other words let's say as an example can you use their trademark can you use their copyrighted material you know in other words their promotional material if they say yes, maybe because then you can use it. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll say yes with the caveat, you get to pay us more. In other words, if you're going to leverage our brand, you're going to leverage all of our materials, that then gets baked into the price that you're paying us. And so sometimes they'll do it for free and they'll say, sure, we don't care. It makes our brand bigger. But if they've already done a lot of work and effort, then they're going to say you get to do that. So build it or best case scenario, best, best recommendation is when you're setting up that agreement, think about that. So think about can I use all of their marketing material or what kind of marketing material? Can I use their trademark? How are they going to let me trademark it? Can I put it on my website? Can I put it on the product that I'm reselling or wholesaling or anything else? And kind of go through those scenarios and think, how am I actually going to want to do that? And then present it to them and say, here's what I want to do. Here's, you know, let's put it in the agreement. And it makes it very clear. If you put it in the agreement and they agree to it, you're fine to go forward. If not, then which is the, usually the problem is people say, oh, we're going to go buy it. Sure, because we're buying it from them, they don't care if we use our brand. They don't care if we use our materials. And then the, whole, or the wholesaler, the reseller get into this argument of, well, no, we, you can't do it. Or, you know, you're misrepresenting. We're not associated with you. And part of the problem is, is it also creates liability issue because of now you haven't thought about that. And that's why I do it in the agreement. But if you haven't thought it out, let's say you go off and you'd make some, whether it's a racist comment, a sexist comment or anything else, a bigoted comment, and it negatively reflects on the main brand, they're going to say, now you're negatively impacting us because you're showing an association with us and you're making statements that are contrary to what we want to do. Or you're going out and you're leveraging our brand and you're misrepresenting it, or you're just not representing it how we want. All of which then they say, we didn't agree to that. And now we're either going to sue you or we're going to at least pull it or pull it or we need to renegotiate, which are all bad things. So best thing is negotiate that ahead of time, figure out how you're going to use it or what you're going to use it for get it in the agreement, and then you tend to avoid a lot of those issues otherwise. Yeah. One yeah. other thing that I'll hit on just is, and, and, and then I'll take a break, yeah. is the other one that a lot of times people get in a problem with is they'll go to China and they'll want to buy something wholesale or what they think is wholesale. And the problem a lot of times, I know I'm picking on China, it happens other places too, is that you'll go to somebody and th what they're doing is they're, they have a contract and agreement with a le legitimate or reputable business that they are making the product and then what they're doing is they're saying, great, now we've got this product. We've already got it set up. We're going to go and just sell it on the side. And we're not going to tell the people that we're making it for. We're selling it on site. So you go to them, buy it and say, yeah, you can use the product. You can use the material we have. And all they've done is copy it from the other people and not ask their permission. And it gets you in hot water because then they, the legitimate company finds out and they're saying you're infringing our patents. You're infringing our trademark. You're infringing our copyrights. We're going to sue you. And oh, by the way, tell us who you got this all from so we can go sue them, which is this creates a big mess. So the other one is if you're buying it for someone, make sure they legitimately have the rights to what they're saying they have the rights to. Yeah. And and I think the um, other quick point here is, you know, m most clients and, you know, I've been uh, gone through the same experience of scaling and, and selling a business. And when you sell a business, you know, the, the trademarks, the copyright like that becomes really important then too. And often, you know, it's very difficult if you're in a negotiation and then all of a sudden you're being delayed 
by some of these things. So the sooner you do it, the sooner you see someone like Devon, the better. Don't leave it to the end. Now, uh, another quick um, one is I know, you know, it's a little bit outside of uh, trademark. You've been a very successful uh, entrepreneur in your own right. Uh, and that's why, like you said, you help people like you. But uh, just on that, what have been some of the ways and the strategies that you've been able to successfully scale your revenue and your sales in your startup businesses? Yeah, I'll give you a few. And some I think are, you know, uni- near universally applicable and some are probably more specific to us. I mean, generally, universal referrals are always great. If you have people that are your current clients, you know, oftentimes people overlook or don't think about them, but your current clients are a great source. Now, don't just go and ask the people, hey, do you have any referrals that you could give me? The people, do you know anybody that will give me or anybody that will give me money is not a good air question. But if, you know, a lot of times what we've found is we kind of slowly bake that into the, you know, the cake, so to speak, of we're just continually raising. We are here to help startups and other businesses, so in, in other small businesses. So if you know any, definitely feel free to share our information, those type of things. So you're slowly or bringing them along to where as they now, as that opportunity comes along and the other business are talking and say, oh, I got this great person that you should talk to. And here's their information. You know, they can go to strategymeeting.com and they already remember it because you told them 10 times strategymeeting.com is how you reach out to me and it makes it easy. So that's one that is probably pretty universal. One that I'll give that, you know, I I keep it as a trade secret, but I'll give it to your audience is one that I like is that people don't do very much and that, that we found to be successful. It's not our only one, but it's one that is free to or near nearly free to us and is a great one is we go onto social media whether i love linkedin so we do it a ton on linkedin we also do it on facebook and as simple as it sounds we search for people that are asking for patent attorneys trademark attorneys recommendations you those are high intent individuals they're looking and asking people that they know do you know anybody that helps does with patents do you know anybody that there does trademarks and it astounds me how often those questions simply go unanswered nobody answers them and if you would spend 20 minutes a day going and searching for whatever that they're looking for, do you know anybody that does marketing? Do you know anybody that does sales, product manufacturing, legal services? Across the board, people are looking and asking for them. They're high intent individuals. And all you have to do is say, yep, we do it. Come or come talk with us. Give them an easy way. With the other thing we do is we give them a call to action. So we don't just say, yeah, message me or private message me. I say, no, here's our contact. I know I keep saying strategy me, but that's the easy way to do it. Go to this site. Grab some time on my calendar. It makes it easy. And that one is one where it's as simple, as cheap, as inexpensive, because all it is is a bit of your time or someone else's time than your company. And yet it creates a lot of sales because these people are looking for it. Great. And, and where, you, where are you doing that search? You're doing it in the standard? You're doing it in sales nav? Like, where are you doing the search for those terms? You know, I'm on a... You, we've tried it a, a few different ways. Usually it's just a standard. Just You can have, especially, you know, sales nav is great more if you're trying to target people, you're trying to do a filter search. But it's just as good if you are just having a LinkedIn account or or a Facebook account or whichever one it is. You can do TikTok if your audience is on TikTok, wherever the people are, just go and search. And you can, you know, a lot of times, give me an example, Facebook, we'll just do it once a day or, you know, once a day, maybe once or twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. But we'll just say all we want is that we filter it to do basically Give me the most, or put it in order from the most recent post and only show us this day's thing because we already looked yesterday. And so just those two filters, just get some keywords. We do like patent attorney or trademark attorney. Maybe, you know, you do a few other keywords for your business and then just start to search those. And then you have, we just have what is a near canned response. And we we still customize it to the, the message, but we have kind of the template for what we're going to respond. 
And then we just simply take that and we craft it to what they're asking for. And then we put it out there. Doesn't take a lot of time, doesn't take a lot of effort. And yet, if you're looking for people that are wanting your services, why wouldn't you go and just tell them we can provide the services that you're asking for? Yeah, look, a great, great suggestion and one that I haven't, um, like it sounds so obvious, right? But as you said, I'm sure not many people are doing it. I must admit, we, we used to and we've stopped doing it. So thanks for reminding me. Just quickly on your LinkedIn profile, you know, it's very powerful. I know you've got uh, a contact me as a call to action on your banner. So, you know, how well is that working for you and how long have you had it up? Yeah, so how well is it working? It's always a hard one because I don't know that we haven't set it up to be a, a unique URL. So it's yeah. always kind of that, unless you have it so that you can specifically track it. And to be honest, we have it all kind of dumped in the same strategy, meaning funnel. And so when I put it on the podcast or I put it on LinkedIn, it tends to be now you get anecdotal reference, right? So you have people, oh, I saw you on LinkedIn, caught your profile, saw that you do that. So it, it definitely is one where we get a, a reasonable amount of people, but it's because we also, I'm also, we also do a ton of work on LinkedIn. In other words, we're continually posting, we're t- continually putting out content. You will make comments, and so then when people see the comments, a lot of times they say, "Oh, well, who is this jerk? Or who is this great guy? Who made that insightful? It's whatever it is." And they go look on your profile. Now, if you're the jerk that they don't want to talk or talk to, they probably aren't going to reach out. But if they're saying, "Oh, that's a good point," or a "good comment," or "Oh, I really love their poll," they'll come and a lot of times check out your or page. And so that's where we have right on the banner. Click here. We have it tied right to, and again, we have it as simple as possible. Our mantra is, is we want to be like McDonald's in the sense, now, not saying we have to, whether I like you, like McDonald's or not, but the simpleness of going up, ordering it, it's quick service, it's easy service, and you get what you need. That's what we do. So click here, click the button, they go right to a calendar, they grab some time, and then guess what? They talk with the real person and they can choose a time that's convenient for them. So we make it really easy. And that was when we found across a lot of platforms, LinkedIn, we do a ton of work to do a good profile for me that I'm continually posting on, continually putting content. And then when people check us out, it's a great call to action. So we found a, a good amount of success um, of people finding us organically that way, organically. Yeah, yeah no, look, I think it's a really good idea. Um, and, uh, you know, once again, I think it's, you know, it's obvious when you see it, but it's not obvious for many that are doing it. So that's great. Last quick question here. I'll, oh, sorry, you I'll give you this one thought just on that because, what people typically do on LinkedIn is they put a, they use it as a resume. And I'm like, I don't really need it as a resume. I need it as a way that I can network and contact people. So that's why, at least for me, when you look at my profile, it's set up to be so that it's almost a, not a sales page, but it's, here's why I'm awesome. Here's why you should contact me. And here's all my information all the way. If you look at my profile, we have all of our flat fees right there. If you look at my profile, I have all my contact information. Here's all my content. And so it's set up to be a selling yourself, not just a, Here's a resume that's a generic and the same as everybody else. Totally agree. And and look, I'm fortunate. I've had over 3 million views of my LinkedIn posts alone in the last two years, right? So for me, I'm never going to get that traction to my website. So to me, and even in search now, and your posts are indexed and they're searchable on Google as well. You know, LinkedIn, if you're B2B, yes, definitely. And and I talked about the sales machine before, so a bit of a shameless plug. If you just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com, you can find out more about that. But, yeah, the same thing, you know, it's completely um, changed my life. Post-transplant, I was like, how do I market myself? LinkedIn and uh, very much of the same strategies that you're doing now. Last quick question before we go to that sip of beer in the uh, sales habit section is what about podcasts? You know, copyright of podcasts. You know, I'm a podcaster. You know, there's lots of us out there. What What are your thoughts on uh, copywriting your podcasts? 
I I typically recommend against, I'll, I'll give you the exception, typically recommend against a copyright. I typically recommend to do a trademark and I'll give you the reason yeah, why. Yeah. Because copy or podcasts, so copyrights are going to protect the actual episode or the actual podcast. And so unless you have a podcast or an episode that is just a one that you get a ton of downloads on that, you know, went viral or has a ton of, you know, ton of reposting or that such that that particular episode is valuable. Usually what happens is it's not the any given episode, it's the amount, it's the branding of the podcast itself that is the value. In other words, people are going not because there's a one given episode they're going to listen to, but it's because, hey, I love this podcast episode. And so I'm going to keep coming back because I like their content. And so the brand is a thing that builds up a lot of the value as opposed to any given episode. Now, if you are the if you have an episode that gets 10 million views or 10 million downloads or whatever listens, then you should probably copyright that one because it is valuable in and of itself. But if it's more of just that consistent audience that you've cultivated and you're and they're continuing listening, then I would do the trademark of the actual name of the podcast and probably the logo. In other words, you can do the logo and you can also do the words. Those are two separate trademarks. And then you're protecting that. So now if somebody comes along and rips off your podcast. If they go and steal one episode, you're going to say, so what? It's not that big a deal. But if they come along and they say, oh, I'm going to make a, an icon or a logo that's almost the same as theirs, or I'm going to do it the same or same or similar name, then you have what's more valuable for tech. Yeah. And then the, the other quick question building on that is geography, right? Like, so, you know, most of my clients or listeners are in the US, um, mm-hmm. Canada, uh and then Australia, right, is the top sort of three. So when you look to trademark, do you look to do it globally? Do you look to do it in the the um, the countries that are getting the most downloads? Well, what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, usually it's where you're getting the most downloads. And that's universal, whether it's podcasts or anything else. And so yeah. the because I'll give you the typical scenario. Usually a client comes in my office and say, I've got this great brand and we want to protect it in every country in there throughout the world. And we just want to make sure we have it all locked down. So, well, we can do that. Let me walk you through a little bit of the cost. There are hundred, oh, you know, a hundred and some 70, 80 countries. I can't remember now the list that are the major countries. And it's about, you know, a couple thousand dollars per country. So if you multiply that, you're now in hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you're not, you know, are you really worried about this, you know, minute little country over here that nobody has, nobody buys your product or nobody listens to? Two? Probably not. And so I usually counsel, you know, take where is you the bulk of your audience. And let's say, as an example, your podcast you had, well, let's say you had 90% in the US, 5% Canada, and 1% Australia. Now, I don't think that's the case, but we'll make that as an, as an example. Then you're probably, you know, honestly, Australia is you're not your biggest market. 1% of the thing, you're better to invest in making sure you have it locked down in the 90%, maybe in the 5 or 10% marketplace. Focus on where the bulk is. And then for the other ones, then you just say, you know what, if somebody comes along, rips us off in these smaller markets and we really don't have any value or traction, so be it, and focus on those big countries. Now, as you grow and as you get bigger and as you have more of a budget, you can continue to expand your brand. But where I would definitely start is where you have your biggest marketplace. Yeah, and I think the other thing is go back to those two rules that you said before, which is, you know, similar and also descriptive as well because, yeah, I think everyone thinks, well, I know in the past, well, I can just trademark anything. It's not. And that's what you said at the start, which is uh, really important. So let's go now into the uh, to the sales habits. So the first one is, you know, what sales habit helps you to be successful every day? 
Yeah, I, I'll give two. I know you only asked for what have, but I'll give you a couple. One oh, is yeah. I, is a very generic one is consistency. In other words, yeah. I, and I think that's across the board. Everybody needs to be consistent because what generally happens, especially in, I'd say, service-based industries, which the law firm is, is you get a feast and famine. When you're feasting, you don't really worry about that. Worry about doing be consistent because you've got too much work to keep up with already. And so you're not going to worry about it. And then after you get done with all that work, then you get into the famine area where, oh, we don't have any work. We don't have anything coming in. And so now we've got to really go out and push that and, and go do it. And so then you make a big push and then you get in the feast again. And it's kind of that one, but it doesn't make for a consistent growth or consistent business because you're always feast and then you're famine and it kind of can hinder it. So I think that one is just being consistent. And then the other one is just to um, look for, you know, kind of like I'm giving the LinkedIn, we do some of the other ones is, you know, there are very saturated marketplaces that are just difficult to break through the noise. Now, if you have a lot of marketing budget and you have a lot of time, great, go do SEO, or go do SEO, you should ever do, but go do Google paid AdWords. If you look in the legal industry, there are a lot of them that are very expensive clicks that it's just going to be hard. So you've got to look for the lower hanging fruit of, hey, are there other places that are on LinkedIn? Are there other places on Facebook? Are there other places that I can find that people are looking that I don't have to pay a ton of money for? They're going to have the same or even better impact and kind of look, you know, I hate the cliche of think outside the box, but look for those that are the low hanging fruit that aren't the ones that are always the well-trafficked one because the ones that are well-trafficked are so much harder to break through the noise versus if you can find those areas that people tend to overlook, those are ones that can oftentimes have a much bigger impact. Great. And uh, technology, what's a piece of technology that you use to help you accelerate your sales? Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of automation. Now, don't get me wrong. I, there's automation that I absolutely hate and think that is done poorly. Like the when you do, or call a customer service up on the phone and they make you go through or dial 10 different people only to get to the wrong person and then they transfer you and then you get hung up and you have to start all Bad example. Of or you get a message automation. to say that, you know, this is where you can go to on the website and, and they hang up on you. And I'm like, <laughs> I called you because I don't want, can't get my answers on the website. So that is a really poor example of automation. Yeah. Yeah. Now there are good examples and, and we do a lot of it, which is automation, but it's one that is set up to free up our time so we can have those personal touches. In other words, if I'm looking and I looked and said, hey, we do the same process for every client, every time we walk them through, we get this information and then we give them this email and then we give this. Well, how much of that can we automate? Well, we can automate here. We really need to have the personal touch here. And so we do it via CRM. There's one that's for the legal. We used to do it with HubSpot. We switched over to one that's a little bit more customized for the legal or the legal atmosphere or the legal industry. But I'm a big or big fan of automation to free up your time to increase your or personal touch, which kind of tend to go or conflicting. But if you think if you can automate the things that you don't need to have the personal touch, it allows you to have that personal touch. And then people really appreciate the personal touch. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And look, you know, I'm using a product called BombBomb at the moment, which is very similar. You can automate a lot of the video. So mm-hmm. it's you, et cetera, but there's ways to do it that can really bring in that personal touch as oh, well. So. I, I love BombBomb. I've been using it for about three years now and I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So, so the next one is your best source of leads. I know you spoke about referrals before, but what's your best source of leads maybe referrals but you know maybe something else yeah i would say referrals and current clients but i would all expand on that a bit in the sense that one of our better or bigger things i'll put that aside is we do a lot of upsells now 
Upsells are, I don't like the, when you go to the website and you have a pop-up that says, hey, you can add this to your cart. That's a, not a good example of upsells because now you're just trying to get more money out of them and it doesn't provide the value. But we look at both current, you know, either clients that are coming in that are new or that are recurring clients and say, now what is their next phase? Or what is either the previous phase of the journey before they get to us that we could expand on? Or what is the next thing they're going to need after this? What we would really recommend that we can provide that value. And then we look and say, okay, now how can we upsell them? Not in the bad sense. It always upsell always kind of makes it sound like you're just trying to extract more money, but how can we help them further along their journey? And then we try and interweave that again, kind of those breadcrumbs or baking it into the cake such that it's a natural progression. Okay, we've helped you on these things. We started planting seeds. This is what you're going to do next. Then when we finish this, hey, here's the next thing that's a natural progression. And that kind of to be a bigger, I don't know if it's exactly lead generation in the sense that it's not bringing new leads in, but it's bringing in more business, which helps the bottom line. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, so the last question is one action. So what's one action we can take today to 10 times our sales? 10 times our sales, that's a good bar. That's a hard one. Um, I would say probably the one I already touched on, which is consistency. And it's, you know, seems like a cliche. Everybody looks for the secret. And yet I would say most of the time, if you're consistently get, I, I guess I'll back up. Putting a system in place that you are having ability to cultivate leads is, is one thing. I'll I'll give that as a better answer, which is, you know, what I always had to laugh. Legal industry is absolutely horrible at that. Yes. They will have somebody call them up on the phone. They'll say, hey, I want some legal service. And then you never hear from them again. Or it takes a week or two to get back to them. And you're saying, what happened? And is this how it's going to be? And so you do all this work to find those people. And then you never continue to cultivate them or follow up or have those systems in place. And so I think is an easy one is... If you figure out the next step after you talk with them that you can continue to keep them moving forward and continue to make progress, systematize that, and you're going to re you're going to recapture a lot of the leads that you already had, but you let fall through the cracks because you didn't they didn't right away give you the money the day that they came in, but they still are really high intent. So I would say figure out how you're going to keep the people that are interested moving forward and actually capture those and cultivate them. Yeah, look, great advice and great advice across the board. And I want everyone just to pause for one moment and just answer this question. Now, how can you find out more and ask Devin questions, right? So I think he's given you a couple of uh, hints during the podcast, but if you haven't got it by now, it's strategymeeting.com. Go there and you can tell he's a very personable guy. He has got brilliant advice and I strongly recommend if you've got something specific, like for me, my podcast at the moment is not trademarked. Uh, so, you know, I know I'll be jumping on with Devin to talk more about that. But for you specifically, just think about what the risks you are, especially if you're looking to scale and sell your business and then reach out to Devin because he is such a great guy and uh, also very smart as well. So Devin, absolute honor having you on today. Hey, it's been a pleasure. It's been an awesome and fun conversation. I appreciate you having me. Brilliant. Thanks, Devin. Bye. Bye. So I love that interview with Devin. I love how the fact that he just brought it down to practical, simple terms. So you know how you can reach out to him. That's right, strategymeeting.com. I love that he's got that URL. I complimented him post the podcast. But do go and protect yourself. I'm going to talk to him about my podcast, but there must be something that you've got that you know is itching away at you and he can simply solve it for you. Uh, 
as I said, there's uh, in the show notes, there's really good summary there for you. Also, all the links. So you can go and get them. You can get the full transcript. You can go and request that at paulhigginsmentoring.com. Why don't you tell other people? Because you know there's lots of people out there that are looking for help in this space, and Devin might be just the right person for them. So why don't you share it and also share it on your socials to thank Devin for the support that he's given you through this podcast. Check out all my solo shows. There's a lot of great individual shows there that can help you. And the last thing, as always, is to take action to accelerate your sales. I'm fired up after today's episode. What about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. Head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.